What's up, guys? We're back. Now, unlike the last couple times, this is a planned shorthanded episode. That's <laughs> what happens when you get two days off of work. Gotta love it. Alrighty. We're going to go into a few things today, hopefully to bring you another episode this week with uh, a couple of the other guys. But this is about today, and we're going to get started with the Killer Bees in Pittsburgh. Okay, so going into the 2020 season, the Pittsburgh Steelers are one of the most confusing situations in the whole league. They're... um, they should be a much better team than they are, and I think with Big Ben coming back, they're going to be. But that's not what this story is about. We're going to go back to the 2016 version of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Where they had Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant, if you want to count Martavis Bryant as being part of this group. In 2016, Big Ben threw for almost 4,000 yards and 29 touchdowns. 65% completion percentage. Le'Veon Bell had almost 1,300 yards on the ground, 600 receiving, almost 2,000 yards. And Antonio Brown had 106 catches for 1,300 yards and 12 scores. That season, they went 11-5 and after they started 4-3 and going into their bye week. They ended up losing to New England in the AFC title game, which most teams did in that era. Um, 2017, Ben threw for 4,300 yards, 28 touchdowns. His interceptions were basically the same as they were the year before, 13 or 14. 54% completion percentage. Le'Veon Bell, once again, went for almost 2,000 total yards and 11 scores. Antonio Brown went over 100 catches for 1,500 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, 13-3, and three, got a first-round bye, lost to Jacksonville 45-42 to 42 in a game that they should have never lost. And here is where the wheels fall off. Heading into the 2018 season, Le'Veon Bell sat out over a contract dispute, which never got resolved. He ended up signing a new deal with the Jets for less money than the Steelers actually offered him, which still doesn't make sense to me. Classic how pretty much every contract dispute works nowadays. Yeah. I think the Steelers offered him $14 million. He ended up signing for thirteen with a worse team. But a little-known fact about that deal is that Le'Veon Bell still handcuffed over $15 million in Pittsburgh's cap Yikes. because they could resign him. Yikes. Um, Todd Haley ended up leaving because him and Ben couldn't get along. Big Ben was critical of the front office because they drafted Mason Rudolph. Um, and Big Ben led the league in interceptions in 2018. But overall, the biggest all-season story for them was Antonio Brown. What a yikes this is. Yeah, Antonio Brown, I guess, forgot how to be a human. That's all I can say. Um, He had numerous lawsuits pending against him. He was pulled over multiple times. He got into it with multiple reporters that offseason. He just 
personally spiraled that whole off season. Um, late in 2018, he sat out a game that they had to win uh, for unknown reasons. Most people believe it was an argument with Big Ben that caused that. And overall, he ended up being traded to Oakland for a third and a fifth round pick, which he never played for Oakland uh, because ego. <laughs> yep, his ego was too big for the building. He ended up being cut there, signed with New England, didn't last long there, and here we sit today. Antonio Brown's out of the league. Le'Veon Bell is in New York. And Big Ben is coming back from a season-ending injury. Um, Martavis Bryant also had, I think, almost 700 yards in 2016 or 17. He has been suspended from the league multiple times for drug violations. He's currently trying to get reinstated again. And Pittsburgh has showed interest in bringing him back if he can clear the commissioner's reinstatement list. And that's what I have for the killer bees and how they died. Yeah, he touched on a lot, but I mean, the individual success of the three stands out. 13 combined Pro Bowls, first team all pros together at once on six different occasions. Um, But you talked about the egos. I think the injuries are what derailed them more than that. Uh, six seasons, the three missed a combined 49 games. Uh, but like I said, stats show Ben never had under 3,800 yards passing, never had under 20 touchdowns minimum, and completion percentage never dipped below 64% in the six seasons they were together. Le'Veon uh, had over 5,300 yards, 35 touchdowns, and averaged just over four yards a carry, which is getting into elite territory whenever you're averaging over four. Uh, A.B., Arguably best in the game when he was there. Um, since Le'Veon Bell was drafted there in 2013? Yes. Um, he never had a season below 1,200 yards receiving, had 100 catches minimum every year, and had double-digit touchdowns in every year but two. Um, as you said, Bell wanted more money. Sat out the 2018 season, which ended up hindering him anyway because the Jets signed him for less, and he has not been anywhere near the same running back in New York as he was in Pittsburgh. But that's not all his fault because the Jets are just a dumpster fire. Agreed. But he signed there. So uh, we've talked about Antonio Brown. Look, the Madden curse hit A.B. so hard it took a year off. (laughs) Two years almost. Yeah, two years almost. Um... Yeah, I mean, the stuff in Oakland with Gruden and Mayock and then all the stuff that he's done on social media and off the, the field. The frostbite issue. Yeah, and then all the legal issues. Yeah. But it's crazy. In the notes here, I have Brown got an ego trip after the 2018 season and was traded to Vegas. I don't think I'm ever going to call them Oakland again, even when they were Oakland. I've been calling them Vegas ever since. Correct. Um, but like with the injuries, 2015, Bell was taken out by Vontez Perfect, the thug as I call him. Uh, I'm getting into him here in a minute. 
Yeah. Uh, he also took out Antonio Brown in the playoff win against Cincinnati. Cincinnati had that game won. It was all Burfick's fault. Yep. Um, and Cincinnati still hasn't won a playoff game in 25-plus years. Um, and they won't be doing that anytime soon either. Absolutely not. So, I mean, and then the A-B, the, I mean, that hit with the concussion pretty much derailed his entire career. It pretty much derailed his life. Um, general. As you said, in 2016, they got to the AFC Championship game. Bell got hurt early on on, like, the first drive. And mm-hmm. New England just – I mean, they did that to everybody. Except the year that I needed them to do it to everybody. Um, 2014 uh, – the Colts pulled off an upset against Denver in the divisional round, and they never stood a chance. People can say what they want about the deflate gate thing. Didn't change the outcome of the game. Never would have. Obviously, 2015 in Denver, one year I need the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, and then, obviously, 2016, they beat the living crap out of Pittsburgh. Uh Honestly, like you know, 2016 they got to the AFC title game, but 2017 was their best shot. I agree, uh, absolutely. But the game against Jacksonville, can't put it on AB and Bell. They had 285 total yards combined and four touchdowns. Yep. But and they did that against the league's best defense at mm-hmm. that time. So you mean to tell me you gonna what Blake <clears throat> Bortles? Hang 45 points on your defense at home. That's all that needs to be said. In in a game that Jacksonville probably didn't deserve to be in anyway. Not offensively, anyway. And what's crazy is we talk about all the New England uh, people with New England issues in AFC title games. And we talked about this on one of the first episodes. If it wasn't for bad officiating, Jacksonville would have beat New England the week prior. The week afterwards, excuse me. They would have. And anyone that says that wasn't horribly officiating does not know football. Agreed. I like I mean I usually don't try to blame officials for teams' losses, but that that was egregious. Just let the man score and look uh, at it later. That's I mean, even the the pass interferences too, but that specifically, it's like if there's a fumble like that, it, it the same thing happened in the Rams Saints week two game last year. The breeze got hurt in. It's like just let the man run, let the man score, and get it right in replay. That's what we have replay for. Exactly. That's the killer bees. All right, I'm gonna s- switch up the order a little bit. Me and Buddha did this too. Good lord, I have way too many notes on this. Um, is this why I'm letting you go first for this? Cause uh. This is a big rival of your college team. Just a, just a tidbit. Just just a tiny bit. That would be the U. Um, my God, what a collapse. If you start in the late 80s, the University of Miami had some of the best college football teams of all time. Wasn't even their best. That's the scary part. I know. <laughs> they, Jimmy Johnson, knew how to coach. He knew how to recruit. He knew how to do everything the right way in college football. Should have stayed in college football. That's another story for another time. 
they ran the Big East. They ran the Not country. Even ACC. They, spoiler alert, they still have never won an ACC championship. Nope, that's for the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, national championship after national championship in the late 80s. I know you have a lot more notes on this than I do, so I'm just going to give the basics and let you fill it in. Yep. Uh, ran the Big East, as I said, national championships. Even in the 90s, they had some really good teams in the 90s. They could just never quite get it done. Well, the mid to late 90s, they couldn't get it done. Um, get to the early 2000s. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Look, here's the thing about the early 2000 teams. I'll put those early 2000 teams, 2001 specifically, against any college football team of all time. 2019 LSU, 2015 Ohio State, 2018 Clemson, every single one of them. Yep, that's what I was going to say. Greatest, my personal opinion is the greatest college football team of all time. I agree. The amount of talent that they sent into the league from that team. It's absurd. It's absurd. There's Hall of Famers. There's multiple-time Pro Bowlers, Super Bowl winners. You name it, it's there. Oh. But after that season, they they were still good. They never could quite get that magic back again, though. Um, made the jump to the ACC in... 2004. I can't remember if it was 03 or 04. And ever since then, it's they haven't necessarily been on a steady decline, but they haven't ever gotten the talent back with the rise of Florida, Florida State for a few years. The recruiting in Florida is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, you got Florida, you got Florida State. And now with you got with since UCF lost one game over two years, they're there too. And then obviously you got the states up north of them that are issues: Georgia, uh, Clemson. And then you got Auburn's and Alabama's to the left of you. So Florida has the, the well, Miami has the unofficial. Or it's just that they're in SEC country, basically. Yep, they're in the ACC, but they're right in the heart of the ACC. Or the SEC, yeah. excuse me. It's just... I mean, they had Mark Richt, who was great at Georgia. Couldn't, couldn't get it right. He had one good year at Miami, and I'll get into that year in a minute. And now they... they just to fast forward to last year, they brought in Manny Diaz, who was a really odd hire to begin with. They went seven and six, and their season ended with a shutout loss to Louisiana Tech. Yikes! Yeah. So I will give you the floor on this one, sir, so you can fill in the gaps that I didn't hit. Uh, yeah, the U, as they call, it, as everyone calls it. Hey, at least Miami doesn't. And Buddha and I talked about this. At least Miami doesn't do the Texas is back thing every year. I hate that phrase so much. Yeah, um, that's. Let me knows where they are currently in the ACC. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the U. I mean, between 1982 and 2002, Miami was ranked third or higher in the postseason AP polls 11 times in 20 years. From 01 to 04, they were in the orange. They were in the sugar and two BCS National Championship games. Wins over Florida in 2000. A blowout on Nebraska in the National Championship game in 2001. Uh, they lost to Ohio State the year after in the national championship game. There was a really bad pass interference call that cost them that game, so they should have won yeah, two years I in a row. I definitely think they should have won that game, too. Um, and then they had a 16-14 victory over Florida State the uh, last year of their dynasty there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, personally, that 2013 Florida State team ranks right behind them. <laughs> We had talent, but if you put the 13 FSU team against that 01 Miami team, we're going to lose by 40. Oh, anyone's losing by 40. Um, let's talk about the early years. From 85 to 94, they were 107 and 13 with three national championships. Only one of those were under 10 win seasons. They had won 11 games four times and were 12 and 0 twice. I mean,. And this is this was an era where that didn't happen. No. And you talk about Jimmy Johnson, like, yes, he had crazy success in the NFL too. But my, like I said, a hundred and seven and thirteen from eighty five to ninety four. Yeah. They lost thirteen games over a nine year span. You don't see that today. Or at least consecutively. And, I mean uh, And destroyed the Big East. Oh yeah, that's why they moved to the ACC because they got tired of blowing yeah. people out. They had no and competition. They, and they should have stayed there. Breathe. <laughs> um, and, my God, from 2000 to 2003 in a four-year span, 46 and four. Two of those were in bowl games. Um, they had two 12-win seasons and two 11-win seasons. National championship in 2001, best team ever. Let's talk about the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. They averaged over 40 points a game. They were only letting up 9.3 points a game on defense. They were beating teams by an average of 32.5 points a game, which is a school, which was a school record. It still is, by the way. Um, You watch the film, the games weren't even that close. No. The defense was number one in the nation in scoring defense, number one in the nation in pass defense, and number one in the nation in turnover margins. So offense was putting up 40, and you weren't scoring more than 10. Uh, six of their players earned All-American honors, and six were finalists for postseason awards. Ken Dorsey, quarterback, finished third in the Heisman voting. Here's where we get to the ridiculousness. From 2002 through 2006, 17 players were first-round picks. Five in 2002, four in 2003, six in 2004, and one each in 05 and 06. And none of those players were like fringe, we're going to start in the NFL roster depth. They all stepped in immediately. And you look at all those players, the best one, man, the tragedy is Sean Taylor. That dude was going to be the best safety of all time. Without a doubt. Dude was my... God, what a player. Um, That's just the first-round picks. 38 of the 60-something players on this team were draft picks. Um, This is a cool stat. They did this in about early 2009. That team in 01, if they were an NFL franchise, they would cost $120 million. 
Um, that's in 09. You take that now, that number goes into the billions. Mm-hmm. Um, this is crazy. It's first, second, third, and fourth string running backs would start a game in the NFL. The first, second, and third were all starters. Clinton Portis, Willa McGahee, and Frank Gore, who's still kicking around. Um, that's, that's insane to me, too. Um, I don't remember the name of their four-string running back, but he started a couple games. He was a majority backup for the rest of his career. But he still started, so he still comes into this. Let's just nope. let's just name some players. Linebacker Jonathan Velma, drafted by the Saints, had himself a pretty good career. The safety room was Ed Reed and Sean Taylor. To me, Sean Taylor should be in the Hall of Fame. He won't be, but he should be. Um, and is in the Hall of Fame. And Ed Reed is in one of the greatest safeties that's ever played. And then you have cornerback Andre Roll, all pro in the NFL. Wide receiver Andre Johnson, all pro in the NFL. Kellen Wins- Tight end Kellen Winslow, kind of a disappointment in the league, but he still played pretty well. Uh, tight end Jeremy Shockey was a staple of the New York Giants and the New Orleans Saints. He even played a season Cam's rookie year in Carolina. And I don't know why we ever got rid of him. Um... And then that was it. And it was like, yeah. And then from 04 to last year, no. They've posted yeah. one 10 win season. That was in 2017. And they started 10 and 0. Then they lost to Pitt. They got blown out by Clemson and lost to Wisconsin. Which is probably good because if they would have gotten the they would have gotten to the playoff, they'd have gotten smacked. Um, they posted a record of 121 and 82 from 04 to 2019, which, hey. It's a winning record, but when you compare it to the 85-94 stretch and the 2000-2003 stretch, um, they've had three losing seasons in these years. They've, they are 3-10 and ten in bowl games in this stretch. They've had one conference championship game appearance, and that was the blowout against Clemson. They technically had a share of the ACC championship with Virginia Tech in 2004, but that was Tech's ACC title, and that's how it's recognized. They have won seven. They've gone seven and six four times, six and six twice, and even a six and seven, and five nine win seasons. Which, but when you're going a hundred and seven and thirteen and forty six and four nine win seasons are a disappointment. And they they don't cut it. And then, the, you coming into this year, if we have a college football season, that is, uh, they, they of course bring in Derek King. Um, who two years ago with Houston was a Heisman finalist and was lighting up the country. It's just, can he bring that magic back to a team that has promise? But if you look at their schedule, they got to go to Michigan State, and they have to go to Charlottesville and to Blacksburg. And, I mean, you got the Pitt and the North Carolinas too, so uh, I don't see much from them if we have a season, and it just goes back to the downfall that you Maybe yeah, I don't see them winning. They'll get another bowl game, which will probably end up being another loss, just because that's what recent history is for them. Um, seven wins, maybe six. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. It's like you look at the ace. I mean, we've talked about Florida State and Miami on this series. This is why Clemson gets so much slack. Because Florida State, Miami, these two previously elite programs are now just bottom feeders. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there hasn't been a team other than Clemson that has stepped up to actually take that place to give them a rival. Yeah, the only, I would say, and this is crazy, they've only played them twice since Clemson started this stretch. The closest thing Clemson's had to arrive on the ACC is actually Virginia Tech. Because in 2016, the year Clemson, Deshaun Watson, won the national championship, Tech faced them in uh, down in Florida because uh, there was a bunch of issues in North Carolina where they moved the game from Charlotte. It was 42-35. to 35. Clemson couldn't put Tech away. Clemson would go up by two, Tech would immediately score and immediately score. And then in 2017, they came to Blacksburg and Tech hung with them for a majority of the game. But and then, I mean, you see what else, you see what they've done to the other, the rest of the ACC and who they've played in conference championship games. I mean, they have blown teams out. So we talked about this on the last podcast with Buddha. It's like you. People wanting to give Clemson slack for not playing anybody. One, they've scheduled Notre Dame for this upcoming year. What do you expect them to do? And the rest of the ACC outside of North Carolina and Virginia Tech on the coastal side this year is pretty much bottom feeder or garbage. The unfortunate thing for Clemson is that that people will always just give them slack for not playing anybody, but it's not their fault. No, it's not their fault at, at all. That no other team in their entire conference outside of maybe two, or is going to win more than nine games this year? No. I mean, everybody looks at the Coastal. It's Tech and North Carolina if we have a season. that I think they play in week six. That's going to pretty much determine who wins the Coastal. Because you talk a lot about Clemson's non-conference. Tech has the worst non-conference that I've ever seen. Now, props to them this year. They scheduled Penn State, who is a dark horse for the Big Ten. I think... They have a real big shot at competing with Ohio State. They always do. They always play them really well. Penn State, Ohio State's more of a rivalry than the game. But we'll talk about college rivalries here in a little bit. Um, yep. But their other two, their other three non-conf, their other three non-conference games is the team up in uh, in Lynchburg. That would be Liberty. Solid. The other two are Middle Tennessee State and North Alabama. Got to get that money. Yeah, which is crazy because I guarantee you Tech is playing middle, paying Middle Tennessee State, North Alabama, over millions of dollars just to play them. Mm-hmm. Just to play them. Which is what happened what? with Tennessee last year when they paid Georgia State $1.5 million to come play them, and then they beat them. We could always harken back to Appalachian State, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, you mean the greatest upset of all time? Yeah, who I'm pretty sure Michigan ended up paying them like $3.5 million or something. Yeah. Uh, Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Okay. Oh, boy, did we have some news the other night. Big news. Cam Newton is is finally off the market after the Panthers screwed him over. And, yes, I'm wearing my Panthers cam jersey because I don't give a damn. Screwing, screwed the man over is is very polite. (laughs) That's... I mean, I mean, I mean. It's very PG of you, and I'm proud. That is very PG because we've talked about it, and I've used a lot more explicative words, but I'm keeping it PG here. Um, late Sunday night, Cam and the Patriots agreed to a one-year deal. His base salary is around a million and a half, but incentives will push it up to seven and a half if you know he starts, in which he will. Um, Jared Stidham season. Yeah. Ugh. Now, people will talk about 
you know, the fact that Cam has missed God knows how many games over the past two years. He missed 14 last year, and I think he missed, like, the final four, three or four. It's at least three. From the 2018 season, which uh, he should have been benched after the Pittsburgh game. And I love T.J. Watt, but that was dirty. Yeah. Um, to me, if he's healthy and is half of what he was the last time he was fully healthy, which was early 2018 when they were 6-2 and two and he had better numbers than he was through eight games a year. He won MVP. Patriots are up there with Kansas City and Baltimore. Easy. Now, yeah. I don't think they beat either of those teams, but here's the thing. Baltimore was better than Tennessee last year. Tennessee beat them. And while Kansas City is as really as good, they were down double digits every single playoff game last year. You can only do that so much to bite you in the ass. Yeah. Um, I have it here after being disrespected by Carolina, which is, again, me being very, very nice. Because the man gives you nine years of complete loyalty. You refuse to give him reliable weapons outside of Greg Olson. You refuse to give him an offensive line that can help. Uh, incompetent coaching 95% of the time. And he carries you to a winning season in 2017. He carries you to the Super Bowl in 2015. People can say all they want about the fumble. I don't care. They were in the Super Bowl because of Cam Newton, not because of the defense. Carried them to a winning season in 2013. And was in the playoffs in 2014 with that 7-8-1 team. So, the man's already motivated. And then Adam Schefter came out and said that New England and the Browns were the only other teams that had any remote interest. So, yeah, let's, let's just piss him off some more. Um, if you could see me, everyone, I'm, I'm shaking my head to everything Ian is saying. And he's so spot on. Yeah, I kind of know my former quarterback. <laughs> um, and that's scary for the rest of the, one, the rest of the AFC and the league in general. Um, yes. Yes. If y'all you know, are wondering, that was Carl's doggo. Um, so, from 2011 to 2019, the man was the not only the face of the organization, but the city of Charlotte itself, which is kind of funny because the Panthers, sorry, Charlotte's two sports franchises, their main stars are now both in Boston. Um, Yikes. In nine seasons, he had a 68-55-1 record, so winning record. The completion percentage, not there. Fifty nine percent. That was never. That's that was never game though. Yeah. He oh, never super accurate passing the ball. No, over twenty nine thousand yards passing. It's like just over twenty nine thousand. Uh, had over forty eight hundred yards rushing. Had one hundred eighty two passing touchdowns and fifty eight rushing touchdowns, which is the most all time of any quarterback in the league. Um, like I said, last time he was healthy. Before a dirty T.J. Watt hit in a game against Pittsburgh, he was putting up better numbers through his MVP year. He was putting up 68% completion percentage, more yards, just as many touchdowns, and way less interceptions. Um, my whole argument with New England now is I've seen it over the past couple days. New England has no weapons. New England has no weapons. I'm like, if y'all paid any attention to his years in Carolina, he didn't have Damn any there either. Weapons. Um, in 2015... His three main receivers, the year they went to the Super Bowl, um, just to refresh people's memories, his number one at the time, Kelvin Benjamin, tore his ACL. 
which destroyed Kelvin Benjamin's entire career. Ended his career, essentially. Um, he had Jericho Cotri. He was a solid vet. He caught that ball in the Super Bowl, by the way. Um, Corey Philly Brown and Ted Ginn Jr. Who's still kicking in the league. Yeah, even though he can't catch broadside of a barn because he drops everything. Nah, he just runs real fast. Yeah, that's the only reason he's still in the league. And then, you know, in 2016, they had a down year after the Super Bowl, which is Carolina's forte every time we have a winning season. They have never had back-to-back winning seasons in the history of the franchise. Uh, 27. Yeah. I learned. Yep, they've never had back-to-back winning seasons in the history of the franchise. Um, 2017, they were 11-5. and five, Had to go down to New Orleans for the wild-card game. The week prior, they lose to Atlanta. And he has one of the worst games of his career, like 51% completion percentage, not even 200 yards, and a couple picks. And then he turns right back around, goes down into New Orleans on the wild card round, one of the toughest places to play, which is odd because the Panthers play the Saints at home down in the Dome better than any other team in the National Football League. It's facts. Um, and had arguably the best game of his career. 65% completion percentage, over 300 yards, three touchdown passes, no interceptions. He had Moose Frazier, Kalen Clay, and a one-armed Devin Funches, who had a uh, partially torn rotator cuff the last four games, including the playoff game of the year, and he still played. So respect for him to still play him, but if he would have been out there healthy, Carolina probably would have won that game. And... To be completely honest, Carolina still probably should have won that game. Yeah. I My whole thing about, and this goes into, you know, Ron Rivera and why people in Washington shouldn't get too excited. My man doesn't like playing young players. Burns was a gunner on punt. McCaffrey was on the bench for half of that wildcard game against New Orleans. Like, how are you going to put Christian McCaffrey on the damn bench? Um, But, yeah, that's pretty much Cam. As far as this year with New England... They're in the weakest division in the league, besides the Bills, but let's be honest. I like Josh Allen, but the man's a poor man's Cam Newton, <laughs> is how I like to put it. Um, The Jets, Sam Darnold, Le'Veon, they lost their best receiver to Carolina. Yes, they got McKay Becton to help protect Sam Darnold, which was a plus. They... Drafted Denzel Mims, but you never know with rookie wide receivers. They're not going to do much. And with the Dolphins, if they're smart, Tua doesn't see the field unless it's absolute emergency. The Patriots' AFC East hopes went up again, and their dynasty being over lasted all of about two months. Yep, I agree. And heading into this year, uh, I've never been such a big Cam Newton fan, but definitely respect what he did for for the franchise in Carolina. Um, definitely got a really raw deal on his way out. That's an to put it mildly. Um, if the Patriots get, as you said, a 50-70% of what Cam was at his best, they're going to win 11 games and probably win the division. 100%. This year, uh, Buffalo is a good, is a really good defensive team. They are the best defenses in the league. If Josh Allen can put it all together, they might very well win nine, ten games themselves, and both of them will 
both teams will probably make their way into this new playoff format we have. Um, but I was doing research and I saw that when Cam plays all 16 games, he's never finished worse, worse than the fifth best quarterback in the league. Yep. So and people like to bring that up about his injury issues. The man started 13 games in 2018, last year obviously, but it was 15-16 every other year. He's I, – I feel like Bill Belichick is going to limit how much Cam runs the ball moving forward, as he should. Cam's. But agreed because, you know, the Patriots have, to me, the best running back room in the National Football League. So I agree. Um, just let Cam run his options. Let Cam do RTOs, his RTOs. Yeah. Which he's insanely um, good at. Oh, yeah. One of the... And te- Cam can take hits. He's the size of a linebacker. But he doesn't need to do it if he doesn't need to. Agreed. And him going to be 31? Yeah, 31 this season, I he- think. He already is. He turned 31 a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And the money that they signed him for is what I actually have a big problem with. It's not enough. Hell no. Uh, Who came out? Was it Richard Sherman? Yes, he said it was atrocious that he wasn't getting 15-16 while some of these quarterbacks are getting... I'm not going to mention Dak or Carson because I ain't trying to start fights. Um... (laughs) Which, actually, I don't really need to do that with them, too. Um, yeah. That kind of just does on its own. That, that's organic. But let's just, like, Jared Goff, are you serious? Matthew Stafford, who's an elite vet, who's a really, really good quarterback. But the top five most paid quarterbacks in the league last year were all on non-playoff teams. And you give Ryan Tannehill over $100 million to hand the ball off. Yeah. To somebody who might not even be there. Yeah, exactly. Next. Exactly. Yeah, as far as Cam goes, I really like where he landed. It felt like the only place he was ever going to actually end up after Winston signed. And that New England was just a thing. And as me and Ian talked about the other day, he's had to have had private workouts with them behind the scenes just because they wouldn't take a flyer on him. No, nobody would. There's no reason to. Um, There was this thing I saw that came out earlier that uh, Chase Daniel – career backup, is making more than se- this season than Cam and Jameis Winston put together. And if like, somebody there's like, something wrong with that. Like, the, lead le- the league leader last year in passing yards, yes, he threw 30 interceptions, I understand, but threw for over 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. And then Cam, the last time he was healthy, was an MVP candidate, a former Super Bowl, damn it, a former MVP how I wish I could say that. Um, All right. Chase Daniel making more than Jameis Winston and Cam Newton combined is an absolute joke. I feel like, not to get completely off topic, but I feel like New England should have made this deal to Jameis. Because Jameis is just going to sit behind Breeze this year. He's only on a one-year deal. What is he going to prove? I mean... The only thing that happens if Breeze gets hurt again, which is rare because Breeze never gets hurt in general. No. He just had a freak injury, and that's why Teddy Bridgewater is sitting on my team's quarterback chart 
at three years, sixty something million dollars. Hmm. Well, the Teddy signing isn't. It's stupid. That. Let's just. It's, I'm just going to come out and say it. It's stupid. The money. The money doesn't make sense. The money nor the fit, for that matter. No, because he he doesn't fit what Matt Rule wants to do. As much as Matt Rule wants to say it, I think Will Greer fits the system more than Teddy Bridgewater. And I say that because Will Greer, in college, ran a system pretty much like this. Because uh-huh. half of Carolina's coaching staff has never coached in the NFL before. Yeah. Including both of their coordinators and their head coach. And if you go to... Joe Brady goes from Joe Burrow to Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater. They're they're not even close to being the same archetype of football player. No. Teddy, y'all brought Teddy in as a safe option. Yeah, I just here's my there. thing. I just let's just say for the sake we end up doing have a college football season just for the sake. Of it. Carolina's not a good team. At all. So, they're to me, they're going to be picking top five. Mm-hmm. I think, barring a crazy change, if they're picking top five, I personally think Teddy is on the bench next year behind either Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields or North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. I don't think Carolina's going to be bad enough to get Trevor Lawrence. That's Jacksonville's spot to lose. Yeah. I agree, 100%. Teddy is... He's a bridge. An un- no bridge quarterback. He's a bridge. That they don't... It is a bridge quarterback. Yeah. I just... Yeah, it's kind of, you know, with Cam, it's like... And I will defend this man till the day I die, because he's... He's the main reason why the, why a lot of the modern Panther fans are Panther fans. Uh-huh. Like, I have been a Panthers fan since the start of 04 near the Super Bowl run, but that was because of Steve Smith. Like... Cam Newton and Luke Keekley are main reasons a lot of the Panthers fan base is now, which irritates me because they didn't have to live through the, the 2004 to 2010 time frame because, my God, was that a dark time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think Cam does really well in New England. I think if he's, if he's healthy, New England wins the AFC East, New England's in the playoffs. Um, I still think Casey and Baltimore are the favorites, but with their only being one bye this year, which is how it should have always been, um, who knows? Yep, I agree, 100%. Healthy Cam, 10 wins, and they'll win the East because it's just not great outside of... If they sweep both games against Buffalo, it's their division to lose. Oh, yeah, I don't see them losing to the Jets or... The Dolphins are tough because the Dolphins always play New England well. They do. And like like you said, introing this piece, uh, Tua shouldn't see the field. Like, Top. if they start bad, let them be bad. Yeah. It's not like, oh, let, let you be bad, and then you go in with a top-five pick. Obviously, you don't need a quarterback. So you've got Jamar Chase. You've got Panay Sewell. You've mm-hmm. got, well, the guy that plays in your own stadium. That plays for Miami, Gregory Russo. Uh, you got Micah Parsons from Penn State. I mean, and don't forget they also have Houston's pick next year in the first round too. Yeah, and Houston not going to be a playoff team. Um, 
I don't. People can say what they want about Deshaun Watson. I'll be amazed if Deshaun Watson is in Houston for the next couple of years. By the way, with the way this is going, he's. I don't think he resigns after his fifth year option. Watson isn't the type of guy I think is going to pull Jamal Adams, or a Dalvin Cook. Sorry, Jordan. Um, <laughs> so like, I think he sticks with the fifth year option, but I think there's going to be a real dispute over his franchise tag, just like it is in Dallas. And I think he goes somewhere where they'll actually protect him. Oh, that too. Um, Cam Newton is probably looking at the Patriots offensive line and going, Hallelujah! Because the top five offensive line in the league. Because Carolina's line over his tenure there has been nothing short of awful. Agreed. This is... Which is why Teddy Bridgewater yeah, won't the talent, the talent isn't there in New England with Cam, but it's probably the most talent he's had in a long time. Yeah, offensive line-wise. Uh, offensive. Also, yes. we haven't even talked about the fact that a top-five defense is on the other side of the field. Right. I mean, yes, they've lost a lot, but uh, they still have Stephon Gilmore. <laughs> they, they need... They just need Cam not... To lose games, essentially. Yeah, which, I mean, I, yeah, that's a lot of people's point. Like, he throws interceptions, and sometimes he throws really stupid ones. But. He's a playmaker at heart. He's in a much weaker conference now. The AFC I is heard. a much weaker conference. So, the Patriots' schedule isn't too terrible. Yeah, it's middle of the pack-ish, I which think. Is, which is what it usually is, if not the easiest yeah. in the league, which is pretty much like it is every single year. Because, mm-hmm. because honestly, most of the good teams get the easy ones, and the shitty teams get the horrible ones. Like, Carolina has the second toughest schedule in the league this year. And then you got teams like Indianapolis who have, you know, league's easiest schedule. But, yes. But then again, last time they had that, they went won like what? Yeah, we don't talk about that, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, to be fair, that worked out for you because now you have the league's best offensive lineman. So I'll take it. Um, let's go back into the college game. I would really like, and I saw this. Somebody posted something earlier on Facebook that I saw, and it was like <clears throat> top five college rivalries. It was like Notre Dame, SC, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Alabama, Auburn. Um, Florida and Georgia. And, yeah, I can remember the other one. But for all you Ohio State and Michigan fans, Michigan specifically, y'all's games hasn't been a rivalry for the past decade. No, they haven't even been in the same ballpark. I mean, it's basically Michigan is is the annoying little brother to... The Buckeyes. Michigan is quickly becoming the annoying little brother to Michigan State. Yeah. So, the best college rivalry, without question, is the Iron Bowl. I absolutely agree. And personally, my second favorite is Oklahoma, Texas. Agree. The, there. <laughs> Oklahoma, Texas was the other one. Um Oh, my God, the amount of times I had to hear Buddha say hook him last week during the Texas segment, I swear. Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, 
But Alabama-Auburn, you know, last year they had that really close, really good game. The year prior they had a really close game. Uh, 2017, Auburn again won at home with Jared Stidham. And then obviously the great... Jared Stidham season. Yeah. And then in 2014 or 15, Alabama was massive favorites. Auburn hung 50 on them, and it was like a 58 to 50-something for SEC teams. That's like, huh? And then obviously you have the most infamous of the Iron Bowl games. The 2013 game where, I'll be real, Nick Saban was the entire reason the kick six ever happened. Yeah. Man vouched for that one second, and then Auburn ran it back 109 yards and won the game. And then they ended up losing in the national championship to Florida State. By the way, Auburn never should have lost that national championship game. They had Florida State's number pretty much Mm -hmm. the entire game. We couldn't stop Trey, Trey Mason, Mason if we tried. Like, yeah. that man ran through us like a wet paper bag, and we had one of the best defenses in, in the nation. Yeah. The only reason is, only reason y'all won that game is because of the chemistry between Jameis and Kelvin Benjamin. Yeah. Which is why Kelvin Benjamin should have started. to see what happened to Kelvin Benjamin, too. Yeah. Like, he had over 1,000 yards his rookie year. Cam Newton made Kelvin Benjamin. Let's just put that out there for a second. KB tore his ACL the year Carolina went to the Super Bowl. That was that was like the first day of training camp, wasn't it? Yep, it was against the Dolphins in a in a joint scrimmage, and he made a cut on a slant route, and his knee blew out. Um, he came back in 2016. He had a pretty solid start, but Carolina went um, to Buffalo, and then mm, that's a yikes from there. But yeah, I mean. Just that kick six, and it's like. And this is. The kick six was after the game with the tip touchdown that led them to to that game against Alabama. Yeah, it was that tip touchdown against Georgia. Yeah, that they shouldn't have won that game either. No, so now you look at it. It was one versus four that game. It was, you know, SEC championship on the line. Uh And my whole thing is is if you ever watch Alabama games now, they had no skill players on the field for that last field goal. You watch any Alabama field goal now that is, you know, long or it's like 45, 50-plus and is on the game is on the line, and if you miss it, they have a chance to run it back. Last year, they were kicking a 50-yard field goal to win a game. Ended up uh, missing, but had Jerry Judy was on the field. And Henry Ruggs was on the field. That is solely because of what happened in the 2013 Iron Bowl. And I'm pretty sure in later years, it it, it came out that their field goal kicker at the time had never made a field goal from that long no. to begin with. No, because Alabama had two kickers. Because their mm-hmm. starting kicker went 0 for 3, and then, they brought the, and then they brought him out, and he was a true freshman. Mm-hmm. He had never, I don't even think he'd even ever attempted a kick from that far before. No. So, I, but yeah, like I said, when it comes to college football rivalries, Alabama-Auburn kind of ranks. I mean, you could put the history of Ohio State-Michigan up there, and obviously if you're a Michigan-Ohio State fan, I fully expect, Ohio State specifically, to say it. It's all relative to the situation, but from being on the outside, Florida State's best rival now would be Florida, and that's not even a rivalry anymore because we just get destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Miami. Uh-oh. I mean, equally suck. So, <laughs> I'm about to say, you get equally destroyed by Florida. <laughs> yeah, equally destroyed by color. Florida, much to Brooks' happiness. Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah, as far as, you know, from my two teams' perspective, I mean, Tech's biggest rival is UVA, and their games the past three years have been insanely competitive. Some of the best college football games of the season. So, Tech and UVA is the rivalry, and... On Oregon side of things, this is where I'm probably going to get a bit of backlash from a couple of Oregon fans, because to me, Oregon State is not the rival of Oregon. They're the little brother. Yeah. They're we said about Michigan. Oregon State is the West Co- is Oregon's annoying little brother. Yes. And then most Oregon fans will say Washington, which is fair. Um, they've been two really close games the past couple of years, but to me. It's Stanford. And me as an Oregon fan, I despise Stanford with every fiber of my being. And that, inc- like, I, I, being an Oregon fan, I despised, <laughs> I despised Andrew Luck in college. I, I, of course, respected him. Same thing was with Christian McCaffrey. I didn't really despise him. I just, but... When it comes to Stanford, on two separate occasions, Stanford has cost Oregon a spot in the BCS National Championship. By the way, if anybody ever wants to be really entertained for like 10 minutes, go watch Christian McCaffrey in college. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 of course, put a link to it in our YouTube description. Yeah. I mean, dude. No, you want to no, know, just go watch a few minutes. Go watch what he did to Iowa in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, but... When it comes to Stanford, and then Oregon returned the favor in 2015, costing yep. them a shot at the playoff, which was glorious. But, yeah, Auburn, oh, Auburn, Alabama is easily. And then, honestly, you can't talk about college football rivalries and not put Clemson, Alabama near the top, if not the top. Oh, and especially, well, all because of the last couple of years. Like, mean They've played each other three times in the college football playoffs. It was three years yeah. in a row, actually. Um, it just so happens that Dabo is out coaching Nick Saban, which is so weird to say. Yep, agreed. Um, and also, you know, another thing. We talked about Clemson, you know, not playing anybody. They've beaten Oklahoma. They've beaten Alabama. They destroyed Notre Dame. They beat Ohio State. Like when it gets to the playoff, they beat teams. And they only lost to maybe the greatest offensive college football team of all time. Yeah, I don't care. Here's my thing about LSU last year, and this is coming from an Oregon fan who, if we wouldn't have lost to Arizona State, Oregon would have been in Oklahoma spot. Boy, am I glad we weren't there. Yeah. Because um, Oklahoma never stood a chance as an Oregon fan. Here's the thing about the college football playoff. I don't want my team there unless we have a shot at winning both games, of winning a uh, national championship. As which, we saw before in the 2014 season. Which is, about the, which is about to say, I was like, you, you of course know how this feels. 2014, when y'all were there against us in the Rose Bowl. Never deserved to be there. Never deserved to be there, and... Kirk Herbstreet said it best, and I've never heard this about any other team. Florida State gave up. We quit. 
because yep. we knew that we never we should have lost three games that season before we ever even got there. Yeah, and then the effective end of that Florida State dynasty, if you so to call it, was the block kick by Georgia Tech. I agree, one hundred percent. Um. But yeah, that's pretty much the college ranks. Uh, hopefully we have a season, but it's very doubtful at this point. I would say it's probably about, I don't even want to say 50-50 we have a season. It's probably closer to 70-30 that we don't have a season. Yeah, I agree. Um, And then, all right, fantasy madness time. Oh, boy. Let me go get it. If I tell you how many times Buddha got up to walk around the other day? I had to take care of everything before I sat down, or else I would be doing the same thing. Yeah, I know. It was his dogs. <laughs> Mine's right. just walking behind me. I just had to get it. Right. All right. God, this thing's heavy. I can't put that on my arm. The thing weighs too much. Um, so... Fantasy Madness. Fantasy is definitely interesting this year, especially with the unknown around the National Football League. But, I mean, if you look at fantasy, top three picks in pretty much every, either you're talking regular or keeper leagues, are three players. New York Giants running back, Saquon Barkley, Carolina Panthers running back, Christian McCaffrey, and Dallas Cowboys running back, Zeke Elliott. Yes, 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 and more yes. <laughs> Sorry, that was Carlos Doggo again. Yeah, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, and Zeke Elliott. Personally, for me, going into this year, it's if you have the number one overall pick, you can't really go wrong between Saquon and Christian McCaffrey. I personally would never consider taking Zeke over either one of them. The only way I would ever justify taking Zeke first is if you're in standard scoring with no PPR. Yeah. Which, which, in. Hardly which, anybody ever plays which anymore. Which, in this league, is full PPR, and in Christ Above League, it's half, so. Um, which is why Christian McCaffrey, if you're playing in a full PPR league, McCaffrey or Saquon are one and two. Oh, absolutely. Which is, by the way, if you or if you or Delby give me Barkley or McCaffrey, I'm going to roast y'all to high end. <laughs> well, you know. Um, personally, for, for me this year, it's Saquon, just because Chris McCaffrey will have a natural regression of points scored. The crazy like, thing, you know, people say, you know, regression. It's like McCaffrey's still going to rush for over 1,000 yards, but his receiving oh, yeah. numbers will it's be just, down. I don't think he's going to catch the ball as much as he did, effectively anyway. And y'all have got to get him off the field. Oh, I agree, 100%. <laughs> you are not going to hear any arguments from me on that. No. I mean, he's not a big guy. Like, he's not a small guy by any stretch of the imagination. He's probably a big guy. I mean, no. Not. I mean, no. Have you seen that man's arms? Yeah, like, he's a big guy. He's, he's rocked up, but Christian McCaffrey isn't built to be getting hit 40 times a game. No. Well, that was there was a game last year. Actually, it was the opener against the, against the Rams. They gave him the ball 30 times and then had his worst game of the year four days later against Tampa. Like, what were you expecting to happen? You were expecting him to... You expecting him to recover from 30 touches a game in four days? And the reason that I feel Saquon will do 
I don't. I think he's going to do so much better than McCaffrey this year. I just feel like it's a safer option. Well, here's the thing about Saquon. He's all the Giants have. Right. He's literally the Giants. Which essentially puts him in pretty much the same boat as Christian McCaffrey nowadays. Yeah, I I mean, mean, yeah, McCaffrey's... Weapons outside of Christian McCaffrey, it's just how effective can Teddy be getting them the ball? Yeah. As far as the Giants are concerned, I think Daniel Jones is going to be a better fantasy quarterback this year than Teddy Bridgewater. I do too. So, Daniel Jones could end up being top 15 quarterback, so, I'd say. So, with that, and the fact, and also the thing about Saquon last year, man had over 1,000 yards rushing. He missed like four or five games due to a high ankle sprain. Four games and finished his RB10 in yeah. fantasy scoring. But he's one or two overall in pretty much every league you'll find. He's going to be one or two overall in both of our leagues. And there's even... There know, he's a keeper dispute. in your league, but same difference. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of dispute now with Zeke and Tony Pollard and all this. Because Tony Pollard, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Tony Pollard will take some snaps. Oh, yeah, 100%. But, but Zeke is still going to lead that backfield share 80-20 probably. Oh, 100%. And you're not going to put Tony Pollard in on the goal line. No. And touchdowns reign supreme in fantasy football. Oh, yeah, they always will. And they always have. Yeah, me personally, I would go Barkley first and then McCaffrey, but it's really close. It's literally 1 and 1A. Yeah. You can't quit. I agree. Um, I just think Saquon has more upside because I think McCaffrey has hit his fantasy ceiling already. Not, not his real-life ceiling. He's still got ridiculous amounts of time left but as far as fantasy scoring goes i think in our sleeper league last year he scored almost 450 points and that was more than a, a majority of quarterbacks scored yeah or something like that yeah it was ridiculous yeah that 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 was have... the main reason that jordan won our league last year yeah he <laughs> so had mccaffrey don't tell him that he probably already forgot that he won <laughs> <laughs> well uh well of course assume he listens so he'll hear it <laughs> Um, <laughs> he'll text me later and be like, I won last year? I'm like, yes. Um, and McCaffrey is the reason I won in my league, because I had him. So he's a, he's a league winner. I Yeah, I agree. I think he has a fantasy regression, but by fantasy yeah. regression, he's still going to be top five running back. Oh, oh yeah. He's not going to be less than RB4 by the end of the year, and that's if Dalvin Cook has a team. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, when it comes to Zeke, I mean, the man's been top five pick for the last God knows how many years. Four. Yeah. Um, Even in his real life draft, he went at number four. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so that my whole that whole thing with Zeke is after you get one and two, which are the easy home runs. Three, I mean, Zeke is the home run there, but if Dalvin Cook has a team. You could consider it. I would personally take Zeke because Zeke doesn't have the injury concerns. And that, and I don't think Dalvin Cook's going to be seeing the field anytime soon because I'm not going to say the word, but you have Adam. You have. I forget which one of the boys in our group has taken Le'Veon and <laughs> called him money hungry, you know what, <laughs> the last two years. Adam. Oh, Adam. <laughs> but. 
Um, I think Zeke is number three. And once you get past three, you got Cook, you got Derrick Henry, Hopkins, Julio, uh, Kamara, who I think will have a bounce back here. I do too. And once you get past three, if Dalvin Cook doesn't play, I think that's where you can get into the Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams territory. If, it also depends on what kind of strategy you want to implore. Personally, yeah. this year, I'd probably go, personally, I'm leaning towards a wide receiver zero strategy, which is just not taking a receiver till round three or four. Yeah. It's just so deep this year. Like, and, you know, our league, the TJ Maxx Fantasy League, um, the only two quarterbacks are going to go anywhere before round three or four are Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, and you will not catch me taking a quarterback in round three. No, it's too early. There's Especially when in five or six you can get Dak Prescott, who was one of the league's best fantasy quarterbacks last year. So, Yeah, um, his current ADP, which is average draft position for people that aren't huge fantasy people like we are, um, he's currently going in the middle of round six in 10-team yeah. drafts, yeah. which is insane. There was one mock draft that I did the other day where I had Dak and Carson Wentz on my squad. Can you imagine? You could, you could do that if you take them like, back-to-back. Yeah, <laughs> but I wouldn't ever recommend doing that. Oh no! Why would you ever take two quarterbacks back to back? I don't know. Why would you ever take two quarterbacks to have the same bye week? That was Jordan's <laughs> fault, and you know it. <laughs> that, hey, I completely forgot about the bye weeks going into that last year. So <laughs> that really is easy to do. so. Everybody out there listening, pay attention to your bye weeks because it can get real nasty real quick. That is a lot on me personally when it comes to bye weeks. Two to three players on the same bye week is kind of max. Two, you're fine. Three, you're kind of pushing it. But anywhere by, beyond that, you're just stupid. Especially in your in your starters. Like, you can get by with drafting a starter and a backup that have the same bye week at the running back wide receiver position. But if you plan on starting two guys at the same time, don't do the bye week thing on the same week because it's just going to be, unless it's a super late bye, like 10, 11, or 12, and I'm pretty sure teams even might have like a week 13 bye this week or something, which is, or this year, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Carolina, by the way, for people who are wondering. On your roster. You know, there's a fantasy player. Um, I, of course, had him in Christ above last year. Who I think is going to be even better this year, especially if Stafford plays the entire year. Kenny Damn Galladay. Agreed. Underrated receiver. Does not get enough credit for how good he is. That, and he plays next to Marvin Jones. He's one of the most underrated receivers in the league, and especially in fantasy football, where he's actually getting a lot of love. He's, he's you know I mean? wide receiver... Six. Here's the thing about Galladay. Not only does he get yards, as you said earlier, the man scores touchdowns. Yeah, he's a touchdown machine. Kind of like a former Lion in Calvin Johnson, not making that comparison. Yeah, I say, let's not go there. <laughs> it's not going to do that. But yeah, Kenny Galladay is going as the fifth receiver off the board in most fantasy drafts now. He's going right between Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who is very up in the air with what Brady's going to bring to them. Um, I personally have him before both of them, I believe. Now I have Evans 
Galladay and then God in Godwin. I think when it comes to Mike Evans, he's not gonna have a drop off because with the way Brady throws, Mike Evans yeah. on slant passes. Yeah, good luck defending that. Yeah, because he's only like six six, like two yeah. fifty or something. And see, that's the thing about Michael Thomas. Like, I, I, a lot of people give him a lot of slack about the slant thing. He runs what he's told to run. Stop him. Yeah, exactly. You can't. But I will say this about Michael Thomas. On the field, he's great. Off the field, he just needs to shut up. He just needs to keep his mouth shut. But well, if that works for him, if that's his game, then so be it. It works for him, I guess. Yep. So, like, when it comes to Kenny Galladay, like, I had him last year, and there was a stretch last year. He was putting up 15, 20 fantasy points for, like, three, four consecutive weeks. Which, is, which in half PPR is kind of insane. And the only reason I had struggles in last year's league was because I had to start 10 different damn quarterbacks in 17 weeks. Watch your waiver wires, people. Waiver wire. Waiver wire? Here is the thing. For people that are like are new to fantasy or have just played it for a year or two, you win leagues due to what you do on the waiver wires. Statistically speaking, 70% of your drafted team won't be on your roster by the end of the year. No. Just to say, like, I took Baker Mayfield and Cam Newton last year. Neither of them were on my team at the end of the postseason. Yeah, I think I ended up, I drafted Aaron Rodgers last year, round six or seven. Ended up trading him for Matt Ryan, who eventually ended up getting traded for Dak when he went through his little down-ish period he had but he was still the best quarterback in fantasy football last year which is still really nuts to say um but my whole thing is like with if you're trading i'm not the one to take advice on for fantasy trades because i like rarely do them just i kind of stick to the waiver wire and i mean it's worked i've played six fantasy seasons and i've never finished lower than fourth or fifth place except for your league last year but that was because i was playing with a bunch of people i didn't know their strategies and stuff it's all right we don't even know our strategies half the time yeah so um yeah i mean let's just i'll end it with a multiple choice question here like we've done the past several weeks and then i'll get into what we're gonna do for hopefully thursday um hopefully it's, al- it's always a Air hopefully closed. Oh, also funny, we're at like an hour and 11 minutes, and this is by far the longest of the four podcasts we've done, and it's just me and you. I... It could probably go for another couple of hours if oh. we actually Oh, it want. could. It could. But content. <laughs> um, not fantasy questions. We've been into that for a good 15 minutes now. Right. You give me a quarterback, two receivers, two running backs, and a tight end. That you would take to build a team? Ooh. Non-fantasy? Non-fantasy. Um, Mahomes? Um, I mean, it's just basically going to be... The receiver position is where it gets kind of difficult. Um, For running backs, give me Barkley. And... I... McCaffrey, it's got to be Barkley and McCaffrey. Um... Wide receiver, this is probably going to be a little, a little iffy. Because you can't say guys like Julio because Julio's already 30. Yeah. 
Um, give me Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. That's going to be a very unpopular decision. But give me Tyreek Hill and Devontae fair. Adams. Fair, fair. Tight end, George Kittle. George Kittle will go down as one of the best tight ends to ever play the game. Yeah, and then you got that whole debate about Kittle and Travis Kelsey, but... Um, I think Kittle wins the debate just solely for the fact that he has Jimmy Garoppolo throwing him the football, and Travis Kelsey has Patrick Mahomes throwing him the football. I agree. But as far as fantasy purposes go, Travis Kelsey is... is tight end one, easily. But, and then, I mean, when it comes to kickers, if your answer is anything other than Justin Tucker... Right. No. That's why... You're just wrong. That's why I'm hoping somebody tries to take him ahead of McKenna this year. Oh, see, nobody needs to die over fantasy sports. <laughs> I agree. Well, guys, that was episode four. Uh, longest episode that we've done, which is no shock, considering Carl and I spend most of our work days talking about this instead of actually doing anything. Um, but that was episode four. Uh, Thursday, we'll have some new topics uh, for everyone, actually. Um, we got... We got we, of course, uh, me and Carl don't know yet, but I'm giving boo to the New Orleans Saints because I cannot talk about them. I'm too unbiased. Um, or too biased, excuse me. Um, probably won't have Delby, which will delay the Virginia Tech conversation because I can't ha- not have him here to have that conversation. He'll kill me. So college program we're going to go to next is the University of Michigan. So we'll do Michigan on Thursday, and we'll have some few other things. Maybe another fantasy segment. We'll see. But that was episode four, guys, and uh, we will see you all soon. Follow Boys to Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.